We are back for week two on marriage. That's close enough. And uh, this should, I'm, I'm excited about this. Steve Erickson reminded me this week. He goes, wow, you're going to preach on submission. That's really brave on Fourth of July weekend when no one will be here. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Super encouraging. So uh, for those of you that were here last week, we dove into the first part of our marriage roles, and that was on headship. And we talked about that, and I'll, I get really encouraged. I, it's impossible for me to ever judge a sermon objectively because I'm up here kind of criticizing how I said what and this and that and trying to improve on speaking and whatever. And, and so I kind of judge some of that by what sort of response it can stir in you guys. And the response this week was a lot of couples coming forward and saying, hey, uh, there's some stuff going on. We want to get honest about it. Do you have a few minutes? And it was awesome. That's so encouraging to hear uh, couples taking information from the scriptures and saying, we want to apply this in a more real and dramatic way. We want to get serious about playing our roles in marriage. Uh, And then people saying, "We're, we're excited to hear next week. And I said, well, that's good to hear because culture just loves the idea of submission within marriage. So this will be a no brainer. So. Uh, Last week, here's what we did. We basically talked to husbands and we said, husbands, your role is wildly misunderstood in our culture. Your role is to lay everything you have down for your wife unto the Lord. So basically, if you're going to do what you're going to do, you are going to roll into your marriage and you are going to give everything that you have just like Christ did for his bride. You sacrifice lovingly for her that she might have everything you have unto the Lord. Now, this week, nothing's different. I'm going to ask wives to do exactly the same thing, to lay everything down for your husband unto the Lord. This is where culture misses it. They miss it because they don't see that marriage is radically equal in its sacrificial nature. Everybody gives everything. What giving everything looks like is different based on God's design for us in our roles. That's the equality miss, is that people sit down and they go, well, the husband just gets to, I hope I blew that out of the water last week. I hope that after you heard some, or you heard headship and the husband's role, that what you heard was, wow, that is a massive responsibility. His role is to lay everything down for me as a wife. I hope that that's what you heard because this week builds off of that as we talk to wives about the same thing, a loving response to that role of headship. And and that's kind of where we're going. This is why when people say, you know, everybody kind of gives 50%, 50% and it works. That doesn't work. Everybody gives everything they have as unto the Lord, and what ends up happening is that complete sacrifice is required. If you just give half and you give half, you're, you're going to miss a whole bunch of your marriage there. The reality is, is this statement's probably true, is that I serve the Lord by laying everything down for my spouse because the Lord asked me to. I think that's the picture that marriage really looks like. So, Without further ado, let's kind of dive right in, and we're in our same passage from last week. Uh, Our first point up here, you guys can kind of fill this in in your notes. Loving submission responds with, and this is our first role, loving submission responds with support for your husband, wives. That's what it says, okay? So let's jump back into it. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
And secondly, also helpful here, Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord or in the Lord. Last week, we kind of qualified this because when we're talking to husbands, and we, we talked about husbands, protect the wife and honor the wife. It's that stand before idea. We really tied into this is based on needs within your wife. These are not haphazard roles that God just went, this sounds good. Your marriage is designed, to, remember, to complete something, God's image. Your marriage is not designed for you to operate independently. So on both sides, there will be needs that you cannot fulfill on your own. That sense of security, when we provide protection as husbands, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually, that protection fulfills a need for the wife to feel secure. And that's an amazing thing. We talked about honor, how, how our wives have a need to feel honor. In the same way today, we tie in with the support idea to a husband's need. God has placed within your husband a deep desire to fulfill their dreams. What your husband knows is that he's incomplete without his wife and knows that without her, he'll never be able to accomplish what God has called him to. When you partner with your husband, wives, to support his dreams for himself, your family, and you guys' future together, you are in one way loving your husband. Now, disclaimer, because again, I've got to work against a really thick cultural lens here. And the cultural lens is easy to kind of say, now wait a minute, what if I've got a husband who is, has zero interest in providing headship? He's just completely fumbled that ball. Or what if I've got, uh, we both come from broken homes. Marriage was never modeled in my home. I never saw a strong foundation where my dad laid everything down for my mom. He protected her. He supported and loved and honored her. And at the same time, my mom never did any of what you're talking about today. Or what if it's that rebellious husband? Jamie and I will talk a little bit about that later. Whether he's a believer or non-believer, he just doesn't want anything to do with God. What does that look like? And I want to remind you, what we're doing in this two weeks is we are not speaking to every marriage circumstance. I kind of qualified that last week. What we're talking about is what the scriptures do in Ephesians 5, saying, look, this is the model that works. This is the marriage ideal. Go after this. What happens is when that marriage model is broken, the family of faith, the church, Christ's bride, comes in and disciples that circumstance. Okay? So, so plainly said, we teach the model, but we disciple the circumstance. There's thousands of circumstances that you could be in that would make some of the statements that I'm saying today very, very challenging to hear. And we want to hear about those, and we want to wrap you in resources that can help you process them. Does that make sense? Because culture right now is probably screaming in your ear going, this is garbage, this doesn't work. I want to show you today this does. But it's based on a need in your husband. This is a wonderful story about support, and we've got it up here, so kind of read along with me. It says, about 300 years ago, a man lost his job in a customs house. He went home brokenhearted to tell his wife, Sophia. To his astonishment, she only beamed at him. Now you can write your book. He answered her, yes, and what will we live on while I'm writing? Sophia quickly went to a drawer and took out a cachet of money. I've always known you were a man of genius, she answered. Uh, I knew that someday you would write an immortal masterpiece. So from the money you gave me every week for housekeeping, I saved something. Here's enough to last one whole year. That amazed husband went to his study and began writing. His name was Nathaniel Hawthorne. The book was The Scarlet Letter. 
I, that just floors me because I've had that experience. I, I've had the privilege of living with a wife who did something that I think can get missed in our culture today. And I can't shout this loud enough to you wives. I think the biggest mistake that you can make in supporting your husband is underestimating the power that your voice has in his life. Your husband is so, your marriage is so desperate for your voice and and what can happen is that wives start to feel diminished in this place. They start to feel like because of either our husband's just our ability to just say I'm fine or I don't wanna deal with it or they start to feel like he just doesn't care, he doesn't hear me and the reality is this makes my heart sing when I hear this. Because my favorite part of this story is this, it's when the wife comes to him and goes, I dream bigger for your dreams than you do. The Lord has given me hope and vision for who you can be beyond what you even see. That is an unbelievable thing as a husband, to have a wife who comes alongside him and says, no, 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 come on, stop it. You can do this. I believe in you. Yeah, but I don't believe in myself. Yeah, but you know what? You can't see outside of your shortcomings, and all I can see is your capabilities. See, as wives, the reality is if you speak life, it will bring life. But what if he's not willing to receive it? I know, but speak life, it will bring life. If you speak defeat and destruction, guess what? It will destroy him. And out of survival, do you know what he'll do? He'll push back and he will create safety to go, I just can't take this anymore. And then all of a sudden, it starts to go, okay, her voice. I can't hear her voice. I have to protect from her voice. Husbands will do that out of survival, just like when there's other side, the other side of the ball is true and husbands do things that we shouldn't, we create survival mechanisms. It's trauma. Trauma does unpleasant things. But when we speak life, it brings life. Jamie did this for me years ago. We were kind of in the beginning of the restoration process and I came home and my two core strongholds in life are shame and fear, okay? I can feel, shameful, I can feel shameful and I can feel fearful. And so I came home for a day of work and I was really trying to break out of this cycle of living in fear And as I roll home, Jamie can just tell, right, because she's got this atmospheric radar in our home where she just goes, something's out of whack. And she looks at her husband, she immediately knows, something's wrong with this guy. So she asked me, and immediately right off the bat, no, I'm fine, I just, you know, weird day. And she kind of finally pulled it out of me, and I just, it came out that I was feeling ashamed because I wasn't successful at work, and I was afraid I'd never amount to anything. Jamie did two things in that moment that started to change the paradigm in our home. She came in and she spoke against the lie that I was shameful and that I was fearful. And she called those out as behaviors that I was living in and said, you're not ashamed, you're not fearful. This is not who you are. And then she spoke into my identity. She said, you are a mighty man of God. You are a man that God will use mightily. You, Rustin, are a proclaimer of victory. This was months into kind of new things. Scottsdale Bible, this stage, this sermon, distant figments of the imagination, but the Lord had given Jamie a vision for my life that far exceeded my capabilities. And she never quit fighting for it, even when she was fighting me. That is support unprecedented. That is an unbelievable level of support that when she spoke life, lo and behold, and didn't quit, and she'll talk about this today as an experience, It changed who I was as a husband because her voice had power in my life. Rule number two, loving submission responds with respect for your husbands. Ephesians 5.33, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Disclaimer number two. These roles are not exclusive, they are primary, okay? These roles are not exclusive, they're primary. Why do I say that? Because culture will tell you this. I hear that the husband gets respect, which means that I don't. That's not it. It's that we receive love differently. The reality last week, when we protect and create security in a wife and we honor the wife, she feels respected because she feels loved. Same thing, when you respect your husband, this is not based out of some crazy ego thing. God has designed him this way. When you respect him, he feels loved. It's that we receive these actions differently. This is kind of the way I've worded it. God has placed within your husband a need to feel respected. It is not his ego run amok. To respect him is to recognize the divinely given role of responsibility that God has designed him for. And when you treat your husband with respect, he will attempt to be worthy of that trust. Okay? Ideally, right? By respecting him in one way, you're loving your husband. Now, as we talk about this submission concept, particularly as we go into this topic of respect... I just want to cover this. this. We're going to just kind of go Greek for just a second here. Not like you did in college, but like we're going to get into some text here, okay? The word submit comes from a Greek word, hupotasso, okay? Now, what are we going to do? We're going to say it together. So everybody say hupotasso. Hupotasso. One more time. Hupotasso. If anyone walked in here right now, they'd be, what are we doing? Okay? Two-part word. There's my slide, okay? Tasso means to arrange. Hupo means underneath. It is the idea of a covering. It is an arrangement and a protection. Doesn't that fit beautifully with what we talked about last week? The husband stands before and protects. He is the first one through the wall. He is a covering for the wife, which meets her needs as he lays everything he has down, physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. He goes first that he might be a covering for her best example I've ever heard of this, and I just love this one. My parents, who are here in the front row, uh, had this incredible Sunday school class. They were involved at Grace Community Church for years, and the couple that led it were Bert and Jan Harden. Amazing people, uh, just deep, rich relationships with God. When Bert gave his daughter away, and the doors open, we've all seen this moment, all of the heads turn, and the doors open at the back of the church. As those doors open, Bert stood there with his daughter, Julie, and under uh, the two of them stood under an umbrella that Bert was holding. And they walked the aisle together, arm in arm, with the umbrella. When Bert got to the end, and that famous question that every husband or every dad sort of dreads, it's coming for all of us, is he's sitting there and he gets the question that we've all been waiting for. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And Bert said his one line, which was, her mother and I do, and up walked Julie's husband, and as he gave her arm to him, he also handed the umbrella, and the two of them turned shoulder and shoulder and walked up to the altar where they then entered into the covenant of marriage, and it was this beautiful symbol in that moment of, I am no longer her covering, I am no longer here to protect her and honor her, I give that responsibility to you as the husband. So now, you have big shoes to fill, walk this out. It's a beautiful picture of hupotasso. It's a covering that gets handed off and the husband has big shoes to fill. Now, the best example, kind of 
Real time, this is kind of going on around us, is Jamie and I have a dear friend, and I'm gonna do this anonymously for a number of reasons. We have a dear friend who has just had an amazing couple of years with the Lord. She poked her head in the back of the venue. I greeted her someday years ago. I remember this circumstance as I was preparing this. And we, had, we kind of connected, we chatted a little bit. There was a lot going on in her marriage at the time. She just dove in and got very, very serious about her relationship with the Lord, which at the time she didn't have one. And she dove in and she came to know the Lord here at Scott's Survival through one of our ministries. She ended up getting involved in mops, which there's like 350 women in there, so you still won't know who she is. But I have, I have seen few people dive into their relationship with the Lord with such vigor and such incredible sacrificial passion. I, this, this woman just laid everything down and just said, I am all yours, Jesus, tell me what to do next. Her husband, however, does not know the Lord. And, and, and we've become friends with the couple and we've spent time with them and so we're kind of just praying for the husband. We're just going, Lord, he's all yours. At one point she came up as every wife does and goes, what do I do? My husband doesn't know the Lord. And I just said, Jesus is more hungry for his salvation than you could ever be. You see, he loves his son so much. Release him completely under the Lord and love him right where he's at. She's gone home. She has respected him. She has supported him. She has completely lived in the most God-honoring way to him to the degree that recently I bumped, uh, bumped into her and we were having a conversation. I just said, you know, hey, I'm still praying for your hubby and actually reaching out to him right now to, to you know, kind of connect. And she said, you know, we had the most encouraging conversation. He started asking some questions about Christ and just about God in general. And then he said this, I'm not sure I'm at a spot where I believe in Jesus, but I sure am glad that you brought him into our home. And I just, it just wrecked me as she told that story because it is such an amazing picture of just natural evangelism. It wasn't going home and beating him over the head with the Bible. It wasn't pressuring him or nagging him to get involved here at the church. It was simply, I'm going to go in and be Jesus. I'm going to go love. I'm going to go lay my life down and just show my family what Jesus looks like. That's what I'm going to do. And lo and behold, God is having an amazing impact on their home because of the way that she has fallen under him. And I mean, she's one of the ones that champions him on Facebook. And it's just so encouraging. It lights me up because the level of respect is just crazy. It's a beautiful picture of this. When headship isn't present to the degree that we're describing today, what do you do? And that's everybody's question. What do you do when it's not working the way you talked about last week? I think this example, this woman, as well as 1 Peter 3.1, are they're the answer. This is what it looks like. 1 Peter 3.1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. That's it. That's what it looks like. It's that example where she comes in and she just says, I'm going to do my role because Jesus asked me to do my role. Culture attacks you women from early on, and I really do. Every time I do a wedding, I address this. I just talk about the fact that, hey, you know what? There's a lot going on. You, you women are told from, the, from birth on, protect yourself, honor yourself, create safety physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. You have to fend for yourself. And then I stand there with every young bride on her wedding day, and I give this information, and I'm effectively saying, okay, now that you've gotten really good at that, now give it all over to him. And it's like... Talk about a U-turn. 
Culture has told women from the beginning, you have to be able to do all this on your own. And then we wonder why it's such a challenge to step into a marriage and say, yes, I will give it to him. I will let him protect me. I will let him honor me. It's because culture has said from the beginning, you're on your own. Now, what about when submission gets tough, when it gets difficult? I think this picture works for both. For those of you who are going to be listening on audio, just kind of imagine with me for a second. Over here on kind of stage right, imagine the wife kind of standing here. In the center of the stage is the husband, and on far stage left is Jesus. And at times when it's a challenge to to submit, uh, the wife has to be willing to stand there, look through the husband, and see who she's truly submitting to on the other side, which is Jesus. The same thing works for the husband. At times when headship is hard, when the woman that you are laying everything down for is not responding in support and respect and love and care, it does not matter. You are called to lay everything down for her as unto the Lord. And that picture is both of us looking through the spouse to Jesus who stands on the other side saying, you emulate me regardless of what's in the middle. You look like I do because you're my kid. And that's what I've called you to. It's a beautiful picture of of kind of what that looks like. So, all right, without any further ado, you guys have heard me brag on this woman for years now. Would you guys help me welcome to the stage my better nine-tenths, my wife, Jamie Rosella. Can I get you a mic? Is that on, James? Hello. Oh, it works. (laughs) All right, Jamie, you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I'm just kidding. Okay, um, you've heard the same sermon that everybody else has heard today. What are the things in this that you sort of feel like I would add to that or, because I can only speak from one perspective. I can speak from the pastor perspective and this is what the scriptures say, but it's easy to misinterpret and sound insensitive. What would you kind of add to some of the things that they've heard today? from your perspective and then knowing me, and I'm not an easy guy to be married to now, and you've done that at a lot of different levels of life, so what would you share? Um, I think there's a lot of pieces that um, I would like to share, but just kind of thinking about it, and we talked about it a little bit more this week, one of the first things that really stood out to me was with the Nathaniel Nathaniel Hawthorne passage, how selfless that wife was. Mm -hmm. Like when I heard that, the first thing I thought of was, she only got a little bit of money probably every week, and she, chose to set aside a piece for her husband because she thought about him first and probably had to put a lot of her needs and the things that she wanted to the side in order to to do that for her husband. I thought, gosh, like that's such a great example of being selfless for your husband and what that looks like. And it's not always easy. And like Rustin said, it's not just about the husband serving the wife, but that's a good practical way to look at how you can serve your husband and what that did for him. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. So that was one of the things that I thought of. Um, The second thing that I was uh, thinking about that we talked about, and you didn't give the story as much, but um, as Rustin had mentioned, you know, there's different ways that sometimes when we're having a tough time or he's having a tough day that I can, I try and encourage him and be able to speak truth to him and um, just not let him sit and agree with all the gunk that he can get stuck in. 
and it goes both ways. But there are a lot of times, just to be real, I know that you guys love this man, and I do too, but that he doesn't want to receive that. And that happens too. I mean, there are a lot of times where he's just stuck in it, and I come to try and speak truth and to want to like love on him and pray with him, and he wants nothing to do with it. And that this happens real talk, too. Yeah. This is real talk. This <laughs> well, is what yeah. it looks like. It goes both ways, I'm sure. But this is, I just get to talk about that part of it. Um, however, um, I know that my job uh, is to, to speak that truth to him. And in those moments, just like he said, I've learned it does not do me any good to then start getting mad at Rustin for not listening, to get mad at Rustin for not wanting to pray, and to just start picking on him. I just kind of like shut it down and then I do that work on my own with the Lord yeah. and I spend time praying for Rustin and just kind of like he said speaking truth over him and helping him get out of just the I don't know whatever yeah. you're stuck with that day yeah and but, as husbands in that moment you have a choice to make this is your choice you can participate in what the Lord is trying to do in your life through your wife or you can continue to agree with what the enemy is trying to do which is to keep you stuck so the next time you have that interaction don't sit back and go, I just want to sit here. I'm not ready. No, it's not that you're not ready. It's that you want to stay in agreement with the enemy rather than with the Lord. Run that little equation next time and see what your, what your level of participation looks like because that's what I have to do. That's what draws me out of it is I'm choosing not to be restored right now and this one's fighting for me. I'm going to go start agreeing with her and we'll fight the enemy rather than me fighting her because that's not where your battle is. Well, and, and equally um, for the wives in the room, um, when you approach your husband that way and he just doesn't want to hear it that day for whatever reason, like I said, you have a choice either in that moment to pick a fight with him or to really just be praying for his heart and let the Lord do the work. And um, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the next one, but I think if you start putting that into practice a little bit, just watching the true U-turn in your husband when you let the Lord do the convicting versus you trying to do it is like significantly different and has been such a sweet thing to see. Which sets this up because you have a unique perspective in the fact that you have done an amazing job over the years of not just supporting and respecting me of of filling the submission role like we've described today while I was pursuing headship, but for the first two and a half years of our marriage, our entire dating time together where I was in complete rebellion to God, claiming to be a believer as I was still being completely rebellious, wanting nothing to do with him while saying all the right things. So can you kind of either compare and contrast or just talk to what some of that was like when you were in what was that hopeless situation of what if he doesn't change, what does this look like? Um, So very early on, like Rustin mentioned, he was a a very different person. And um, I tried for a long time to change him on my own and to like convict him and make him feel really bad for the way that he was treating me or the things that were happening. And it got me nowhere. And I just became very miserable and unhappy that things wouldn't change. And um, through a lot of different things, but specifically, I know Rustin read a little bit of the first Peter um, three chapter, but some of the main Um, pieces of that verse that I think really started a huge heart change in me were um, that women, uh, the wives can win over their husband without a word just by the conduct of their lives. So that was one of the things I thought, okay, so how about I've tried talking this man into changing and it's not working. So what if I do it the way that the Lord asked me to and I start um, letting the Lord do the talking into Rustin's life and me kind of getting out of the way and just praying for him and letting my conduct towards the Lord start to try and win him over. So that was one thing. And then second was talking about um, 
how it, with a gentle and quiet spirit is how the Lord asks wives to be in their hearts and how that's seen in God's eyes as precious. So then I started thinking, well, what does a gentle and a quiet spirit look like? And I started to realize, too, that a gentle and quiet spirit was not, um, gosh, yelling at my husband, being mad at him for everything, nagging him constantly for the things that he was always doing that were disappointing me or letting me down or making me mad or how just my marriage was not what I thought it was going to be. So the Lord just really got a hold of my heart and showed me that... um, just it wasn't going to work that way and I was in the way and I needed to get out of the way and the way that I was able to submit to Rustin in times when he was not living for the Lord and he was not someone at that time that I felt I mean this is going to sound super harsh but felt worthy of giving respect to at the time and we were going through a lot of really awful stuff and it was really hard but I I knew that my job because I wasn't going to get out of my marriage I knew that I loved the Lord enough to know that wasn't what I was supposed to do was that I needed to learn how to respect the Lord and love the Lord and submit to him unto Rustin. And I know like he just said, but it's such a great picture, is I was putting my trust and my hope in the Lord through Rustin. So basically, I learned to how to submit to Rustin by how much I was praying for him to the Lord, and the Lord was showing me ways to love him and ways to, to just continue to honor him, even when it wasn't necessarily what would come naturally to my like sinful nature at the time and just to really truly show him respect that way um, and just be praying for him like crazy. I mean, that's what I did. I stopped my words of nagging and I just turned that into constant praying, praying for change in my marriage, praying for a change in Rustin or praying for a way to get me out of my marriage. And I will tell you, the Lord answered every single one of those prayers in like the craziest ways, yeah. but it was just through like constant faith that the Lord was gonna do something big. Yeah. And as the husband in that moment, I just thought, oh my gosh, we finally figured it out. She's leaving me alone. I can drink as much as I want. We're good to go. And <laughs> the Lord had something on the way. <laughs> You'll land on your knees either willingly or I'll break your legs. So. But I just tell people like, hey, when there's that wife that's praying and in complete submission to the Lord, uh, I just tell husbands, He's like, you know how my wife prays for me all the time, and she kind of recently stopped nagging me, and I was like, oh, man, your fuse is lit. <laughs> Duck. So um, you had three things that you kind of talked, we talked a little bit about this week, and I thought they were so good, but things that you're just most passionate around this topic of marriage. Would you kind of share some of those just based on the experience that you've had? Yeah, um, absolutely. So Um, The biggest thing I think that could be encouraging to wives in the room would be one to just remember that your marriage is constant sanctification in your life. Um, The Lord will work through you in your marriage all the time. I, when we went through all of the big trauma that we did and we kind of worked through healing through that process, I kind of felt like, okay, Lord, like we're done now. Like we're doing a good job. And then the next, the very next time that something bad happened, I remember feeling like, wait a minute we're done. Like, I thought that we were done. Like, that was such a big deal. And, and just, you know, the Lord just showed me that that's, that's not what he wants. He wants me to look more like him. He wants Rustin to look more like him and our marriage to be used for him. And that's like a constant sanctification. So just remembering that it's okay to be going through things together and as individuals, because that's a tool that the Lord uses to constantly sanctify us in our marriages and as individuals to look more like him and to be able to just continue to have that deepened relationship yeah. with yeah. him. So I think that's one of the things. The other one is um, 
my world cannot be Rustin. That's a big thing that I learned. And I think it's really hard as wives, especially when our marriages are having a really hard time, is all of your focus and energy and thoughts and prayers and everything is about your husband. And I think that that can become really easy to, one, kind of make that like your idol in your life, but then also... Um, it just makes it so much easier to be disappointed and let down and frustrated and resentful and angry and all those things when that is your everything instead of, like we had already mentioned, it's really about your relationship with Jesus and your role in that and what the Lord's calling you to do. And that makes serving him so much easier um, and so much more wonderful because it's really not about him. It's about God and it's about my relationship with the Lord and the things that he's teaching me and that he's asking me to do. So when I do them, regardless of what Rustin's response is, there's a peace in my heart because that's what the Lord asked me to do. So it's really, really great and I've learned that over 10 years. So I have not always done this well at all. Um, and if you wanna hear some bad stories, you can come up and ask us later. Um, but it just, it, it does, it takes time, but I've learned that. Like it just can't, it's not about him. It really isn't. Um, okay, sorry, last thing. Um, and I mentioned this a little bit before, but I have become so passionate about prayer and what it can do because like I said before, when I fervently commit to something and just constantly pray about it, the Lord answers my prayers. And I have seen my entire world changed and my husband changed because of prayer. And I always say this, but I think that the Lord really, um, when Rustin and I met each other, showed me who he was, not how he was acting or his behaviors. And so I've always believed in those things and prayed for those things. And I continue to keep doing that for him. And um, I really do think that prayer is so important. And I know it's hard when you're upset or when things are rough or when you feel like the Lord's abandoning you because it's so tough, but cry out to him and share those things with him and just talk to him and pray because he already knows your heart and he already knows how you feel and it's not like you need to hide it or you have to be ashamed to say it. He knows it and he wants that relationship with you and he wants to grow you and teach you and just really comfort your heart. And unless you're acting in a prayerful way of that relationship with him, he can't do that. You're not gonna be able to feel that and experience that. Yeah. Um, hey, thank you for being up here today and I just, uh, I would not be the man I am today without you. So I love you. Thank you. You bet. <clears throat> All right. I've got three quick conclusions, and then we're going to go to the communion table, and uh, we're just going to get out a little bit late today. But I'll make, this, uh, I'll make this quick. Last week, I challenged husbands, eternal perspective. I said, listen, husbands, someday you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're going to have a conversation. He's going to ask you how you took care of his daughter. This is no less true for you as wives taking care or caring for one of God's sons. He's a dad. He just cares about kids. It's not just his daughters. And he doesn't sit there and say, well, they're tough, so they're fine. That's not it. The reality is someday God's gonna sit down and he's gonna ask you questions. He's gonna say, how'd you support him? How'd you encourage him? When the world beat him down and told him that he was a failure, did you speak my words over him? Did you come alongside him and reinvigorate his dreams when he'd lost sight of what they were? And the point is, you're going to answer someday, not just for all of that, but even within the submission idea of like, hey, you gave him input. Did you really pray about the input you gave him? Because I'm going to hold him responsible for the decisions that were made for your family. The input that you gave where you said, I've thought about this, I've prayed about it. Did you really? Did you sit down and think about what it was? Jamie reminded me of this week, but I'm going to challenge here, and this may not be well received, but I think it's accurate. Do your kids come before your husband? I know this is hard. 
harder for moms than it is for dads. But do your kids come before your husband? Because the reality is there's this idea of like, my kids, I gotta take care of my kids, I gotta take care of my kids. They'll be devastated if I don't care for them. Hear me loud and clear. They will be far more devastated if your marriage falls apart. Your marriage in your home is arguably the single greatest reflection of a, of a completely sacrificial love your kids will ever see. And if that falls apart, because all of it went to the kids rather than to uh, the husband, and you're going, I know, but they need me. I know, I hope I've told you today, so does your husband. It needs your words, it needs your love. He is dying for it, whether he's telling you or not. To the husbands, the biggest encouragement I can give you is fulfill your role. <laughs> fulfill your role. Encourage your wife by making submission a joy. Lay everything you have down for them and give them something incredible to respond to. If you are sitting there and just going, yeah, you know, I kind of do what I can when I can, you're doing it wrong. This should be the preeminent sacrificial thing that you're doing. Push in and fulfill your role and do not lord over your wife, okay? You're not the CEO of your home. We talked about that last week. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. In Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't do it. Love them. Care for them. Encourage your wife. Talked about last week about how, you know, wives really zero in. If your husband's making steps, praise the steps. Don't worry about the mile that he's not achieved yet. Husbands, it's the same thing. If your wife is showing incredible support, tell her how much it means to you. Look at your wife. If she's supporting you and she's encouraging you, just look at her and say, babe, that fills me up. That encourages me greatly. I can't tell you how fulfilled I feel because of this thing that you've done for me. Don't just go, wow, that was cool. That's, that's dumb. Don't do that. Tell her she's awesome, okay? Let's figure this out, okay? All right, singles. Here we go. Single ladies. All the <laughs> Every week, two weeks in a row. Caution, single ladies. Your boyfriend is not the head of you. You are not required by any level of scripture or anything to submit to your boyfriend. Here's how you think about dating. He is auditioning for the role. He hadn't gotten the part yet, okay? You clap at that. This goes wonky all the time. Gals get into dating relationships, they all of a sudden are standing there and they go, well, I mean, I gotta, you don't gotta do nothing. You are not required to do anything, biblically speaking. You are in an evaluation process where you are looking at another man of God, key phrase, missionary dating's not a great idea, because you won't see a whole bunch of Jesus and a guy that doesn't know him. Okay, you are sitting here with another man of God and you are looking for the raw materials to say, can he fall into this role? Can he come in and provide headship? Am I willing to someday hoop tasso with this man? Because if you say now during dating, I'm not sure about that, then keep dating and evaluate it. Don't think a ring's gonna change it. Can we do that, ladies? I would much rather you get out of a dating relationship than me be counseling your marriage and your husband's just totally checked out. Dating is an evaluation process. It is not a practicing of marriage roles. Does that make sense? Okay, moving on. Single men, you are looking for a woman of God because this thing can go sideways the other way. 
You are looking for a woman of God who is in complete submission to who? The Lord. If you see a girl and the conversations you're having with her are, um, I think the Lord's kind of asking me to do some things. I just don't want to do them. Red flag. If her relationship with the Lord is based upon kind of, hey, I'll get to it when I can, or I'm just not that passionate about being obedient to Christ. If her world is all about her, not about serving others, same thing like I directed you girls to last week. The guy can't put his self-interest down to go pursue Jesus and serve the bride of Christ. Same thing, guys. If it's all about her, it's probably not going to be all about your marriage someday. It may continue to be all about her. Red flag. All right? And here's my last deal to singles. Your dating relationship should be a practice of you two looking at each other in dating and encouraging speaking words of life over where you see Jesus in the other person. Does that make sense? You come in and you see, I see Jesus here and here and here in your life, and you encourage that both ways. That's where I see dating relationships flourish and two people start to realize they want to be married because they keep growing closer and closer to Christ as the two of them are filling each other with the words of Christ. That is a healthy biblical dating relationship. Does that make sense? Okay, last qualification here. I want to reiterate this. There are circumstances in marriage, okay? It's going to sound like a harsh finish. There are circumstances in marriage where safety isn't present, okay? I want you to hear me today. A submission sermon is not turning a blind eye to safety. When abuse is present and there are situations where a woman is not safe, we have resources here at the church, and I don't want you to go home and say, I just need to throw myself back into the buzzsaw again. I want you to reach out, and I want you to allow yourself to be protected from a husband if protection is not being provided by a husband. That's where the bride of Christ steps in, and this is a disciple the circumstance. Remember, we're talking about the ideal today, not every circumstance. Don't misapply this and reach out for help. You hear me, ladies? Okay. All right, we gotta go to the communion table and we're like way late. So I'm gonna do this. There is no better setup for communion than a beautiful uh, picture of Christ and his church. We are all in this together in the fact that if you're sitting here today as a husband and a wife, you are both in submission to who? To Jesus. That's the reality. So you get to sit here together today in full submission to the Lord, partaking in his sacrificial act for you. So as we do that today, let me just pray for us, and then I'll come back up on stage, and we'll partake of the elements together. So Lord, today, we just recognize our place as your kids, that we're in complete submission to you. Our roles are different, but equally sacrificial. And Lord, it's all based off of this one thing, your leading sacrifice for your bride. You are our covering. You are our head. You went before us to achieve a protection and an honor that we can't even imagine. You went at the highest price available. Perfect was killed. The spotless was marred that you might have us. And we're here today by partaking in communion to say that you do. You have us. You are our Lord. You are our head. And we celebrate that today in complete submission to your will in our lives. Lord, we celebrate that now. Ushers, will you come forward and distribute the elements?